Welcome to the MDO Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is circus artist, advocate, and inclusion for accessibility, author, and founder and owner of Kingston Circus Arts, Aaron Ball. Aaron is a double baloney AFT who's traveled internationally to teach not only about circus, but about accessibility. Welcome to the show, Aaron, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Great. It's great to have you. Before we get started on circus and your advocacy work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I identify as a MAD from the MAD Pride movement and disabled um, circus artist. I am uh, currently on the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the Ojibwe in what is known as Cataraque or Kingston, Ontario. Um, I am a, an artist and circus is the main um, medium that I use to tell stories. Now, Erin and I met a few years ago when I attended one of her performances here in Toronto. And since then, Erin tried to get me on some sort of silks, uh, silk skills, but I don't think I'm meant to be upside down. So it just didn't work out for me. And clearly, I had a lot of trouble. But I love that she was able to show me the possible and how possible things are. And, and how amazing. Uh, oh, thanks. And how great <laughs> they are to do. But, you know, uh, you've been around the world doing that. So tell me, how did you get that light bulb to come off and, and say, I want to do this? Yeah, I found Circus Arts in 2018-ish. I was teaching yoga and doing personal training. And I attended a buskers festival and saw a couple doing partner acrobatics. Um, one person was doing a handstand on another person's arm. And I just thought, that is it. That is what I want to do. And so I started looking into where I could find a space to train and I found that there were schools all over. Um, so I started training and a few years later, uh, after becoming totally hooked, I um, opened up my own little space here in Kingston uh, and it was really to support um, my own training. Uh, and along with that, I started performing and uh, in 2014, I had my accident, took a year off at that time. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I decided that I wanted to keep going with circus. I didn't know what that meant uh, at all. And my experience with disability um, prior to that really uh, was kind of from mainstream media's perception. And um, so, yeah, I, I had a lot of learning uh, to do within myself and kind of um, figuring out what it all was and um, accepting, you know, grieving, accepting. And, uh, and I just started playing around in the air and, um, you know, I found that when I was uh, going to lessons to try to learn, a lot of people um, didn't really know how to work with me. And uh, I started connecting more and more to people in the disability community. And I started realizing that my own teaching wasn't really working um, the way that it did for everybody else. Uh, so that led me to explore a more collaborative approach, really recognizing that um, each person is the expert in their own body and, um, and yeah, figuring out how we could um, move forward with circus arts together. Um, 
along with the teaching, I spent, I guess, a year after um, training, figuring out how my body worked now. Um, and, and then, yeah, a year later, I did my first big show um, back in the air. Uh, and it was in Toronto, actually. Um, and I think, you know, it just kind of went from there. Um, yeah. And I was going to ask you about the physical process of it, because you were a circus artist before your accident and then uh, uh, after that as well. So was there a lot of physical sort of, I guess, from the technical perspective, I'm coming off from, you know, what little I know of circus and that time you showed me on sales and actually you've done partner acro as well. That yeah, takes we a lot of strength <laughs> and a lot of, and that takes a lot of, a lot of balancing. And so I'm trying to figure out, or I guess to explain to us how to listen in your, or how to listen to your body about what you're doing. And, and it was that part of your process when you created this training for yourself and for others? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, definitely listening uh, to my body and encouraging others to listen to their own. Um, yeah, because I think if we push past that, then we uh, can't keep pushing at some point. Um, you can get seriously injured too, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So I think it really is, yeah, listening. Um, but it, it is pushing. I think it's like finding a balance of the two. Um, so planning for that, yeah, it is a lot of strength. Um, it is a lot of dedication and hard work, but like for me to get back in the air on silks, um, yeah, that, that definitely took a while and it was that uh, combo. What was that feeling for you the first time you went back into performing? It's something, I think it's always something that when you're in training and you're figuring, you know, especially in the beginning, you're figuring things out and then you're finally back on air with everybody cheering you on what was that feeling like I feel like I've had so many kind of first moments like that um so the first actual performance that I did was um 30 days after I got out of the hospital and like exactly one year after the accident um and it was here in Kingston um and it was in Market Square uh downtown uh out in the cold and it was a hoop performance, like a hula hoop. And uh, my big moment in that was standing up. And I think it was just magical having, you know, so many people from this city uh, come and support me. And the cheering in that moment of standing up, I think really gave me hope that maybe, maybe this was gonna work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and then and then the show when I did Ariel uh, in Toronto, that first one, uh, I mean, it was powerful for so many reasons. It was also um, the first time that I really like revealed my legs on stage. I started with them covered and uh, then I pulled them up in the middle and then eventually got up in the air. And yeah, there were a lot of friends in the room that night as well. And um, so many people cheering and it just made me feel like accepted and like my different body had a place on the stage um, and it was yeah just really incredible i think that's really important to hear about being represented on stage i you know i always talk about being represented in the media on tv in the movies and, and you being on stage like that and not only does it give a visual for other kids or everyone really to see the you know what we can do but i think you know, it also gives that 
that bit of, oh, look at what I can do and, and, and look what you can do and, and look what I can show you to do as well, if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. Um, how do you get somebody like myself who's never had experience before in, in, in doing any of that to be brave enough, not, I guess not even to just be brave, but to get started uh, with you in one of these classes? So for example, if you and I are going to meet today, having not done circus in me in three years, I think, like how would you get me back on to uh, to the mat and, and back on the silks? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, first of all, there would have to be some form of willingness. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, having a conversation about like that you are the expert in your own body. And no matter that we are like similar and we're both amputees, we still have very different experiences. Um, so I am never going to know what your exact experience is. So honoring that you are the person with that knowledge and I am a circus coach and I have circus knowledge. I have ideas that may or may not work. And so it'll really be this, um, collaboration together and how important it is to have open communication around what's happening. Um, checking in, you know, like just how you're doing in general, what do you want to explore? Um, and then I like starting off with um, warm-ups that uh, start in a general sense. So I, I found that a lot of uh, movement-based warm-ups tend to include running and jumping. And it's like, okay, we're all going to run and jump, except you, you can sit out. <laughs> um, so I think there are just so many options. Um, if we consider language. So something like move around the space and then, you know, increase the speed that allows people to find that um, within themselves. And so it doesn't have to be like we all move the same way. If you are somebody who runs and jumps, then you can find that within that. If you are somebody who is crawling on the floor, moving in a wheelchair, whatever that is, really considering the language and the cues around that. Um, and then we would probably do some form of um, moving through all of your joints that move. Uh, and then we would explore in the air or partner acrobatics, um, depending what you want to do. Um, and I mean, that, that could be many, many things. Um, yeah. So I guess choreography comes in later after the yeah. change. So you want to get strong first and I guess understand the basics. So when you're thinking of the exercises or movements and then looking to choreograph them later, how do you determine those things? Just what they want to do, of course. So let's say I'm, I'm a person in a wheelchair, I'm a wheelchair user and I wanted to do silks. So yeah. then how do you start choreographing for them? Yeah, I think it really needs to be participant led. And the initial um, part of that is really exploring like what works and finding some base positions that work for that participant that we can then add on to. Um, so, you know, like traditionally, a lot of people would stand with knots on their feet on the fabric. That is not an option for all people. And so maybe it is some kind of wrap in the armpits and that is the position to move from. And then we figure out where to go um, from there. Yeah. Okay. And do you find, um, I guess it's still going back to listening to the person's body, but do you find like, you know, this works 
for a person who's who's an upper limb amputee or this person or this movement works for a person using a wheelchair or this person you know what i mean so are there general ones that you you tend to go to as sort of here's my go-to and then let's build on that yeah i mean again as you said it it really is um individual uh but there are some i created some a wrap on the fabric that i call the footless footlock um, and I find that can work with a lot of people with um, differences in their lower body. Uh, so yeah, wheelchair users for various reasons, um, lower limb amputees. Uh, and then for upper limb amputees, uh, again, it's not always um, the same or people with any differences in their upper body. Uh, things with tension tend to work well because a lot of the time um, people are getting in the air using one limb or shorter limbs. Uh, so adding something like a heavy wheelchair onto the bottom of silks creates a lot of weight and changes how the fabric um, interacts with the person. And so then they can kind of use that tension to um, help get themselves up. Wow, that's that's really great to hear. Um, it's, it's exciting. I've seen a lot, you know, okay. some of your work on video, and and like I said, I've attended uh, one of your uh, shows before in the past. Actually, at, at Harbor Front Center, and that was the very first day you and I met. <laughs> was at that show um, with the colored smoke grenades. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. So I was like, wow, this girl's like super awesome, spinning around with the with the color with the smokes and everything. I was like. Wow. And so again, that just to me like opens up my eyes to like a whole other set of things that I can explore and other people can explore as well. Was that also somewhere where you started noticing or recognizing the barriers that's around us in our everyday lives? Yes, um, it, it was. And it also, I think I recognize some of the barriers within myself also. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, circus was like a part of my whole journey. So um, it definitely coincided with that. Um, yeah, um, in 2017, I was invited to an event called the Republic of Inclusion. And it was um, the first time that I had been in a space with uh, all many different people in the disability community. And the way that it had been set up, uh, it really thought about um, everything in advance and there were audio describers for the deaf community or sorry <laughs> audio describers for the blind and partially sighted community and interpreters for the deaf community and um, just so many considerations were made and it, I really I feel like that was a big turning point for me where I really started to understand what access could be and how if things were set up differently um, people could really uh, be included a lot more than what they currently are um, so it was kind of that event um, as well as my own experiences you know in the world and in circus um, that really started um, shaping how I uh, understood yeah the barriers right I wanted to just find out more about some of the, like, so you, you mentioned a few examples of having describers for the partially and uh, have a visual impairment or uh, sign language for, for the hard of hearing and, and deaf community. Where do you think we are falling short as far as making inclusive and accessible things for everybody? 
Um, I mean, a lot of my work is in the arts, um, so I will speak to that, uh, yeah. but it definitely, you know, I mean, it, it goes into social media. It's, it's everything, right? It's, it's like, it's everything. Um, like preparing people for things in advance, what to expect, um, descriptions, uh, you know, so audio descriptions, the, the photos, like on, you know, I'll go into social media, um, the way that it is set up, the stories on social media are not accessible at all. Um, I think it's really about considering who we want to include in the room and who is being left out. And I don't believe that there is such a thing as fully accessible because there are so many conflicting um, access needs. But I do think that um, a lot more effort can be made than what is currently being made. I think that um, you know policies and um, any regulations need to really actively involve the disability community. Um, because yeah, I feel like things get left out often uh, when we get left out. Completely understand that. I always say that advocacy is not just us advocating for our accessibility. By that I mean people with different abilities. I think that everybody should be advocating alongside with us for the simple fact that inevitably we will all need some form of mobility assistance one way or another. You know, old age happens and you will need a cane and that's when it's important that you have a ramp. That's when it's important when sidewalks are accessible. That's when important doors are accessible, correct? And so I always try to get people to advocate alongside me to help them understand that this will happen. Like, and, and I need you beside me to fight for this now. So what are some of the things you think people can get started with in order to, to be mindful of including everybody? Yeah, um, I mean, I think that ultimately a lot of... Um the way that things are set up, it is a systemic issue. Um, and, you know, it goes along with all of the other forms of oppression. And um, so ultimately, I don't think it's like our uh, fault as individuals, but I do think that we as individuals need to do the work on this. Um, so I think it is about shifting attitudes around um, what disability is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I, I think that there is still a big perception that it is a bad thing and, and the narratives that um, are often around disability, that it's either, um, you know, we're either to be pitied or feared or we're so inspirational and it's about overcoming disability and there is just so much outside of that. Um, so I think, yeah, taking a look at some of that stuff, taking um, really uh, questioning our thoughts uh, around ableism. Um, we can think about the language that we use. Um, I, I think it has to start there as well as some of the like practical, um, you know, consult with people in the disability community, um, ask them what they need. <laughs> it really is not a one size fits all um, thing. So yeah, the more 
um, disabled people that uh, we can include and the more perspectives, I think just the more full it will be. And ultimately access enhances experiences for everyone, not just the disability community. Um, and the same way I think that, you know, people learn differently and take in information differently. That is what access is, multiple points of entry um, that exactly as you said, will benefit us all. We are all going to be disabled at some point uh, if we live long enough. So ultimately it's just gonna help us all. Right, and I think you are breaking barriers. You have a book called Flying Footless, correct? <laughs> Flying Footless, yeah. Right, which I think explores, you know, I, perhaps share with everybody instead of me talking. Uh, <laughs> you don't want me talking. Uh, uh, explain to us what Flying Footless is. Sure, yeah. Flying Footless um, started out, uh, it was very specific. It was uh, for lower limb amputees um, and for circus coaches who wanted to teach them uh, because that's my area of expertise. Um, so yeah, it ultimately began because of what I noticed when I would go take circus classes and then what I, um, information that I got from other people who were experiencing similar um, situations. Um, over the years, I started to realize that the information um, really applied to the larger disability community as a whole and really ultimately I think uh, creates more or allows for more creativity and more people to um, access uh, circus and not only circus but movement-based practices. Um, it really is a guideline for um, how to include, I'm not going to say everyone, because again, I don't know that that is possible, but really strives to include as many people as possible. Um, so yeah, it, it talks a lot about um, like what I was just mentioning with um, looking at some of the things inside ourselves, reflecting on, you know, what are the our views on disability and, and how can we shift these? Um, and are there things that we're holding on to that we um, don't want to give up just because it's how we were taught? Um, yeah. Now, I know that um, having seen some of your videos from overseas as well, that you include kind of what we were talking about, about making an effort to actually have decisions as well, to have an ESL um, interpreter on stage with you and a uh, voiceover, I guess, if you want to call it, is that what it's called? A voiceover, audio, audio, audio description uh, for your shows. So how, what's that like setting up in a country that you're going to who, who may not have readily available? Well, we didn't think of that. I don't know that I can speak to how it's received differently in different countries, but um, yeah, I, I've um, tried many things to include access in shows. Um, and uh, I have gotten positive responses uh, and a lot of negative responses. And I feel like the negative responses are largely around this, like almost forcing people to um, understand how our world is actually set up and that it's not accessible. Um, and so I've gotten a lot of comments about how disturbing it is, how access should be hidden, um, all kinds of things like that. And I really feel like, um, I hope that with time, people can kind of process and understand that um, really, you know, if we do these things, like 
it is benefiting everyone. And, and I'll just share one example that I love to share of how um, like the audio description can really um, enhance things for, for so many people. Um, I've worked a lot with um, blind artist, Alex Bulmer, who is based in Toronto. Um, and she's done a lot of consulting work for um, my shows. Uh, around increasing access specifically for blind and partially sighted audiences. And um, I have one uh, show that is about my accident. And um, so I'll just give one little detail uh, to, for context for the show. Um, so at the time of my accident, a missing persons report had gone out on me and Alex and I and Vanessa, who's a part of um, my company, Legacy Circus, who uh, we created the show. So we were wondering how we could give visual descriptions and not just simply say, you know, Aaron is blah, 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 or not just have a narrator saying those. And so Alex came up with the idea of taking the uh, missing persons report and turning it into a radio broadcast um, that happened in the show. And so that gave all of my physical descriptions. And we were also able to add in all kinds of other information, the temperature, the landscape, um, the dates, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I really think that it just adds extra layers for everyone. And some of the um, comments that we got afterwards about the show, uh, people who had brought kids to the show, said usually their kids were um, asking a lot of questions, what's going on, and, and they weren't because we also had a narrator who was describing what was going on. So we just had all of these, um, yeah, entry points for people to to access our work. Right, and, and you've shown that in in Montreal, in the in over like overseas as well, right? That's that same show. I think that's a yeah, show. Yeah, and in have. Mexico, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, any any more shows coming up for you with uh, with COVID? <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, I'm um, yeah really surprised around uh, how how many opportunities I've had. I'm very very grateful. Um, I just finished a version of a show, so it's it's a rough draft. Um, it was supposed to be a live show. Uh, but yeah, with COVID, it ended up being a film um, and we explored all kinds of forms of access. Uh, and it was, um, I did mine around um, an insane asylum that had been in Kingston. And it was a very uh, cool experience because um, we worked with a local deaf theater troupe. And um, before this show, I had always brought in um, sign language interpreters, so hearing interpreters, but this was actually working with the deaf community. Um, and so somebody read my script and then interpreted it and, and they were on the screen while I was also saying my script. Um, so it was really a neat um, collaboration and yeah, we all <laughs> learned a lot and we will uh, redo that show at some point when hopefully we can gather again someday. And uh, right now I am working on um, a piece called 2014, which was the year of my accident and uh, my seven year anniversary is coming up. And so I'm creating this piece as a celebration, a beautiful celebration. Um, 
and it will premiere at uh, an event actually based in Toronto. Uh, it's the Disability Collective. They're having a cabaret called Art is Movement on um, March 4th. And then it will, um, so it's co-presented uh, by the Disability Collective and Skeleton Park Arts Festival. And it will also um, air again uh, through Skeleton Park Arts Festival. The dates are unknown um, for that, but it will be soon. Oh, that's that's good to hear that there's repeats of that just finding ways to actually maybe see that at a later time that's really good because i think it's important especially with the lockdowns that we're in it's like i can't go out to a place and maybe if i could see that online then then that's great i want to talk some more about kingston art circus so can you tell us a little bit more about kingston circus arts yeah kingston circus arts um we moved into our own space in 2018 um, and as we were setting up, I surveyed as many people as I could, um, people that I knew in the disability community, asking everything from what kind of soap do you prefer to anything I could think about uh, about the space. I brought in um, some people in the blind and partially sighted community to do a consultation. Um, and I mean, it's definitely not done. Um, I don't think it'll ever be done. It's not perfect. Um, but I, yeah, tried to create a place that as many people could get in the door as possible um, and, and use the washroom while they're there. <laughs> um, so yeah, the classes, we offer classes, uh, we offer parties, workshops, um, we do student showcases. Uh, I'm thinking about doing something uh, live streamed, maybe combining um, local musicians and some of the um, aerialists at Kingston Circus Arts um, now that we can get back into the studio. Uh, so classes are starting up again in March. And so, yeah, maybe in a few months we'll, we'll do something like that. Um, we do amputee circus camps. So I've done um, two now and they are uh, a week long camp and um, participants come from all over. Uh, some of the people have done circus before and some of them have not. So we basically spend a week trying out um, all kinds of things, seeing what works. Uh, and then at the end of the week, we put on a show. And the second year, we also got to take our show to Toronto and perform it. Um, yeah, it's a really wonderful experience. Um, I, feel, I feel like my work is kind of three separate things. I'm a you know solo uh, like freelance artist. And then I have Kingston Circus Arts, which is really kind of tied to Kingston and the studio. Uh, and then I also have Legacy Circus, which is a company a collaboration of myself and Halifax-based artist, Vanessa Furlong. Um, so I do a lot of traveling and I take, you know, Flying Footless um, all over the place. Uh, and part of Flying Footless um, at the end of the course after training coaches, um, we do workshops with the disability community. So I connect with the community locally, invite people in to come take a free workshop. Um, and then I am there to help out if needed with the coaches who have just learned this new um, approach to teaching. Uh, so we yeah, do workshops for the disability community. We've taken those all over the place. Um, so yeah, I guess Kingston Circus Arts leaves Kingston. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Vanessa Furlong and I met in 2016, and it was actually that uh, first big show that I was talking about. And um, we had a mentor. 
So the, the event was called Circus Sessions and it's a week long creative lab with um, artists from all over. And uh, Vanessa came in with stilts and was dancing on stilts. And the mentor said, you have weird legs and you have weird legs and you two should work together. And uh, in that week, we created a five minute long piece. Um, and that piece grew into an hour long show uh, over the years. Um, so yeah, I mean, we live halfway across the country from each other. We got together as often as we could. Uh, I don't think we knew in that first week that it would stick and that we'd still be um, working together. But uh, yeah, we created our company and, and we've taken our show all over the place. Wow, from five minutes to an hour <laughs> show. That's amazing. The work that I'm just thinking, you know, again, having worked with you on those silks, and you were just telling me how to flip over on a silk. So <laughs> thinking of a whole hour show for a circus, what's that process like then? Do you do you keep adding on to the five minutes or do you keep thinking of stories or does the whole, the whole hour one story with different acts? I mean, it's interesting for that show. Uh, we would get asked to do different performances and then we'd get together. We'd work for like three days, 12 hours a day and just plan for a specific show, which was usually like 10 minutes. Um, and then each time we got together, we kind of add on more and more and be like, oh, I got this different idea, this different idea. Ultimately, that show is kind of all around my accident, but we've also started working on a prequel that is Vanessa's story. Um, so yeah, I'd say we've just kind of added it on in pieces and it's um, a combination of acrobatics on the ground, um, clowning, uh, theater work, um, duo trapeze. So we both get on the trapeze together. Um, there's some aerial wheelchair, there's some confetti cannon legs. <laughs> nice. Very festive. <laughs> For sure. Now, how are you finding working uh, virtually with her then? Yeah, so we got the opportunity to do a digital residency with um, Ships Theatre Company, which was amazing. We worked over Zoom and kind of went through the entire show and really pulled all of the things apart and have a lot of ideas now of where to go. And we also uh, worked with the sound designer to go through all of the parts. Um, before that, we had just kind of picked a lot of random songs based on the shows that we'd been hired to do. Um, so it's been really interesting to uh, work with somebody to put specific sounds in to really emphasize specific moments and do that with through the like access lens and like how can this really increase um, accessibility and experiences for people. Um, so we are definitely missing being in the same physical space. It's hard to, you know, create anything together on a trapeze without that. But uh, we have a lot of ideas for when we can get back together. That's great. That's um, just going back to the um, accessible piece when you're performing. Just trying to imagine that. So you have a person speaking over. How does the music work then? Is it lowered down every time they, they speak or describe that, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, it really depends. There are so many different ways to do it. Um, and I feel like I'm really still just learning. Um, but what I've found, and you know, a lot of this work has come from uh, Alex Bulmer, but uh, 
when describing movements, like specifically circus movements, it's, it's too much to make full sentences. Um, and especially as you mentioned with music. Um, so often what we'll do is kind of like take a moment and set the tone, I guess, like really say like, this is, you know, there's a two ropes that hang from the ceiling and a bar connects them at the bottom uh, and it's, you know, six feet in the air. Um, and we will have described ourselves. And then from there, it's more about uh, what is the actual movement. So maybe like uh, we hang by our arms and then um, twist, spin, and like single words that we can kind of add in. Um, right. and, and then, yeah, really considering whether there are lyrics in songs or not, um, but like finding the moments to put that in and some moments in silence and breathing. Breathing can, can say a lot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I think this is all really great. And, and I'm really excited for the work that you're doing with accessibility in circus and accessibility all around and teaching everybody about being inclusive and, and having access to really everything ar around us, you know, so, th so that's really great and more power to you on that. So again, just remind everybody, what's next for you? Like what projects you're working on right now and what you're looking to work, uh, work towards in the future? Whew, my mind just went blank. What projects am I working on? <laughs> so you have a show yeah. coming up in March and that you will have, so you have one in March. Yeah, so I have one in uh, March 4th that is uh, co-presented by um, Skeleton Park Arts Festival and the Disability Collective, and that will um, show again um, probably in a month or so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm back to teaching now, so that's, that's a thing. And then um, trying to set up a student showcase at the studio. I'm always looking for people to collaborate with um, and, yeah, tell stories. Uh, I'm working on a few arts projects around the city of Kingston um, that that will be out soon, uh, like installations. Um, yeah. And where can people find more about you, uh, especially if they want to take a class or uh, invite you to the, you know to do a presentation or or hire you for that stuff? Where can people find you? Um, I am on social media, um, so Instagram, Aaron Ball Circus, um, if it's class specific or, or anything to do with Kingston Circus Arts, there's a website, kingstoncircusarts.com, uh, Legacy Circus also has a website, legacycircus.com, um, but yeah, social media um, is a big one, Facebook, all of those, um, yeah, Legacy Circus, Kingston Circus Arts all have Facebook pages. Great. That sounds really good. And again, you sound really busy with a lot of the stuff that's going on. So I can imagine. Thank you so much, Erin. And as you know, I'm one of your biggest fans and supporters of your work. I'm excited for you and moving in this part of your career and your journey. I want to thank Erin Ball for joining me today. I will share the links on my website at www.airstalkingbook.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at the FDO Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and this has been the FTO Show Podcast.